2: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. 1
0: Corinthians one 1 Corinthians one twenty-six. You see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. What do you see, he says, in this group of Christ followers? Not many, with what the world would call wise, with the world's conferred degrees of wisdom. Not many mighty, not many of the class of nobility. The word, the wisdom, and the miracles of Christ, they weren't denied, but the offense was there offense derived. And they got this offense from the group. They said, this group, he's not a part of the group that are wealthy, he's not a part of the group that are religious, he's not a part of the group that are esteemed, that are noble, that have these exalted positions, the mighty, the notoriously wise of the world. He's not a part of this group that doesn't need a physician the righteous of the world, the boasters, the braggers of self. He's not a part of that. He's a part of another group, they said. He's a part of a group that's considered the foolish. He's a part of a group that's considered the weak things of the world. They confuse the world. He's a part of the group that's despised. He's a part of the group which are nothing. They're nobodies, they're not. He's a part of the group that don't, Talk about themselves. They don't boast about themselves. They're non-observant, as they say, they're non-firmers, they don't observe. In Yiddish, these are people They all they talk about, they boast of God. I mean, just think about the beggar Lazarus, the beggar Lazarus. How was he viewed by the world in Luke 16:20? Luke 1620. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. How was he looked upon? This part of his group. Consider how the publicans and sinners were viewed by this group that followed him, and they were viewed in Luke 15.2. Luke 15.2, the scribes and Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Consider how the, the poor, the diseased, The maimed, and those who who needed a sole physician, how they were viewed, like that man in John 9, that blind man, John 9, 7, John 9, 7, said unto him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sin. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. The neighbors, the neighbors, therefore, and they which had seen him, that he was blind, said, is not this he that sat and begged? He was a part of this group. He was a part of, of what God considered, as far as God looked at it, he says, the power of God, the wisdom of God, the weakness of God, stronger than man, the foolish things of the world, the righteousness of God, the sanctified, the redeemed. But there was one thing absent from this group that he was associating with, this group of Christ followers, and what was absent was self-braggers, self-braggers. I mean, what are they gonna brag about? What are they gonna brag about that they, that they begged and that they had sores so bad that the dogs came and licked them? That's something to brag about? Are they gonna brag about how they were dirty, rotten sinners? That's something to brag about? Or were they gonna brag about how they cheated others out of their money and took bribes? That's something to brag about? No, that was what they were ashamed of. And so 1 Corinthians one twenty 1 Corinthians one twenty nine becomes functional, becomes effective, no flesh should glory in his presence. And that's what God wants in his heaven. God wants in his heaven that none of the Christ followers would ever say to another person, I don't think you know who you're talking to. <laughs> they wouldn't do that. How could they? You know, when I wrote the book Changed, I told my life as a dirty, rotten sinner. That book is, for me, the title's changed. It should be Shamed. But for God it was glorious because he saved me. Someone who received the book, my book changed, reminded him of a painting of George Whitfield. George Whitfield, a famous preacher. George Whitfield had warts on his face. So when a painter came to paint him, he said, Mr. Whitfield, I-, I can paint you without the warts. And Whitfield says, Nope, paint me warts and all. So the person wrote me and says, Your book is warts and all. <laughs> Now, again, they ask him the same question in verse 56. Verse 56. His sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? Twice he's asked this question. The question is raised Whence then hath this man all these things? It's a burning question. It's a burning question. It's a troubling question. Because in this question, they're denying their own conscience, they're defying their own conviction and they're rejecting the obvious. The obvious is that he has authority. He's got authority. Matthew 7:29, Matthew 7:29. He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. He's got an authority that the scribes don't have. And where do you see this authority really exercised? You see it on the Sermon on the Mount. That's why the whole Sermon on the Mount ends with that statement in Matthew 7:29. He taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. So the, the Sermon on the Mount is all about authority. He's exercising his authority. And how's he doing this? He's pronounced, every time he pronounced in the Sermon of the Mount, I say unto you, he was exercising authority as in Matthew 5.28 on the Sermon of the Mount. Matthew 5.28, Matthew 5.28, but I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. It was common to sit on the corner and watch all the girls go by. You know? Common to look and lust and fantasize. That was common. But as eminent, he says, Who is this who calls looking and lusting adultery? By what authority does he say that? You know, Matthew 5:32, 5, Matthew 5.32. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced commits adultery. Divorce was common, was allowed under the rules of the rabbis. It was called obtaining a get. Still is today. Then he could get divorced. His enemy says, who is this who calls a man getting a divorce, causing the woman to commit adultery? Who is this? Who calls marrying in a divorced woman adultery? Says who? By what authority? They said. Matthew 5.20. Matthew 5.20. I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Scribes and Pharisees were viewed as going to heaven for sure. They were viewed as, as helping other people go to heaven by their, just by keeping by meeting the standards of their righteousness. And so they said, Who is this? who says that our righteousness is not enough to get into heaven? Matthew 5, 22, five twenty two. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother, raka, which means fool, shall be in danger of the council because whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Getting angry, it's common. Do that every day, you don't feel good. It's common. And calling someone a fool, that wasn't unusual. The enemy said, Who is this who says calling a person a fool can get you cast into hell? Matthew 5.39, Matthew 5.39, I say unto you that you resist not evil. Whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. People were taught to defend themselves. Israel defense force. His enemies said, Who is this who says to not defend yourself? Matthew 5.44, Matthew 5.44, But I say unto you, love your enemies Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which spitefully use you, persecute you. Jews, they're experts in having enemies. They got a lot of enemies. Vow to kill them. They got a lot of enemies that say, you want peace? Come to the table. I got a knife behind my back. I'm going to stab you. They were taught to hate their enemies. His enemies, his enemies said, Who is this who tells the Jews to love and bless their enemies and pray for their murderous enemies? Who is that? Pray for the Nazis? Bless the Nazis? Do good to the Nazis? Who's that? Matthew 6.25, Matthew 6.25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on common thinking was, you need to worry about that. You need to worry about your health. You need to worry about where your next meal's coming from. You need to worry about your provisions. His enemy said, who is this that tells us not to worry about our health and food? Matthew ten fourteen. Matthew ten fourteen. Whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Everybody knew the sins and the judgment, the destruction of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. His enemy says, who is this? Who is this that says that a city that doesn't receive his disciples, a city that doesn't hear their words, it's gonna be worse for that city and the final judgment than it is for Sodom and Gomorrah? Matthew 12, six, Matthew 12, six. But I say unto you that in this temple, uh, sorry, I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple, Matthew 12, 6, I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. Temple of Jerusalem, the temple in Jerusalem was considered the most important place on earth. The most important, but enemies said, who is this who says he's more important than the temple? Matthew 18, 3, Matthew 18, 3, I said, verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Children, children, little little, little, little brats that run around. They need to be trained. They need to be taught. His enemy said, who is this who says that unless a, a person becomes like a little child, he can't get into heaven? Matthew 19, 24, 19, 24. Again, I say unto you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Becoming rich? That's a dream. That's a dream. A dream? Get rich as the dream come true. His enemy said, who is this who says a rich man can hardly get into heaven? Matthew 26, 4, 64, Matthew 26, 64, Jesus saith unto him, thou hast said, nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power coming in the clouds of heaven. Also Matthew 25, 31, Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another. As a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. He said this while the Sanhedrin was condemning him to death. Was condemning him to death. His enemy said, Who is this condemned person who claims that he's going to return with all the angels to make the final judgment on all men? Matthew 10:29. Matthew 10:29. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there's no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake and the gospel, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. A person, especially a Jewish person, part of the Jewish community who leaves his home and his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his properties, for the sake of Christ and for the gospel, he's considered a real loser. And so his enemies said, "Who is this who claims that a person who leaves all of that for the sake of Jesus and the gospel, he's going to receive a hundredfold more with houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and eternal life? Who is that?" He said in Luke 11:51. Luke 11:51 the blood of Abel, from the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple. Verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. The murderers of Abel and the prophets were considered guilty. They are guilty. They did it. They are guilty. But his enemies said, who is this who claims that our generation will be held responsible for the blood of all of history's martyrs? Luke twelve eight. Luke twelve eight. also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. It was considered a scandal to confess Christ. It was a shame considered for a person to say that he was a follower of this despised Jesus. So those enemies say, who is this who says that the follower of Jesus is gonna be praised before the angels of God? Luke 6, uh, sorry, John 6, 47, John 6, 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. People worked very hard to get everlasting life. People worked, they had a lot, they had 613 laws and more. They had to do many good works in order to get everlasting life through their good works. So his enemies said, who is this who claimed that just by believing into him was enough to get eternal life? John 8:58. John 8, Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Abraham, he lived 4,000 years ago. 4,000 years ago, his enemy said, who is this who claims to have lived before Abraham? Is it any wonder when I go through all these things, is it any wonder when you look at all these scriptures, is it any wonder why when a person turned to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, that he had to leave the synagogue, that he was put out of the synagogue, as it says in John nine twenty two. John 9, These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he was the Messiah, he should be put out of the synagogue. Is it any wonder why in Israel today, any Jew from any place can find Israel to be a place of refuge, thank you Adolf Hitler, and become an immediate Israeli citizen unless he says, I believe in Jesus. Does any wonder why when I came to the end of my Israeli uh, citizenship process, almost a year, it was asked if I believe in Jesus. That when I said I did, that I was told Israeli citizenship is not for you, not available to you. Every time he said, "I say unto you," he was saying, "I have a higher authority, authority over the scribes and the Pharisees who held tightly to their authority they had over the people." And this is what is meant by the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew seven twenty nine. Matthew 7, 29, he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The scribes and the Pharisees, it was all a matter of authority. That's what they questioned him over. What authority? Matthew 21, 23, Matthew 21, 23. When he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, by what authority doest thou these things and who gave thee this authority? That was the centerpiece of their challenge. Authority. What's your authority? And who gave it to you? That was the centerpiece. The people were forced to see that he had authority. They couldn't deny it. When he was casting out devils and in Mark 127, Mark 127, they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits and they obey him. How strange, how out of place that the one person in the Bible who came to him banking on his request, on his authority, was not a Jewish person. Wasn't a Jewish person, it was a Roman. It was a Roman soldier. It was a Roman captain, over a 100 Roman soldiers, a 100 warriors, Roman warriors in Matthew 8, 7. Matthew 8, 7, Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. I am a man under authority. Having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, go with, he goeth another, come and he cometh. To my servant, do this, he doeth it. When Jesus heard that, he marveled and said unto them that followed, verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. This denial that his enemies had, of their conscience, this defiance of their own conviction, this rejection of the obvious caused him, in verse 58, in verse 58, he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Another place is put in Mark 6, 5, Mark 6, 5, he could there do no mighty work save that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. In Mark 6, 6, Mark 6, 6, He marveled because of their unbelief. That's an amazing statement. When he saw their their unbelief, it was amazing to him. It caused him to marvel. As he stood there and he looked at their unbelief, he was stunned. He was stunned. What causes God to marvel? What causes God to be stunned? Unbelief does. Unbelief. Because unbelief is really a decision of stubbornness like the tourists in the Philippines who told the Filipino pastor when I was there, he said, he was, this Filipino pastor was stunned as he said to me, that man said to me, I'd rather be in hell than to believe in Jesus. That stuns God. That stuns God. A defiance, a rebellion against God that's self-destructive, that stuns God. A love of death, that stuns God. A refusal to receive God's free gift of salvation from sins, that stuns God. When God is holding out his hand to a person and he's got in his hand God's greatest treasure, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that person pushes God's hand away, that stuns God. When a person does that, he's opposing himself. He's opposing his own best interest, And that's how we are to see them. And that's how we are to have compassion on those who have a terrible disease of the soul called unbelief. And we are to respond in a certain way in 2 Timothy 2.24, 2 Timothy 2.24. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves if God peradventure will give them repentance, to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. What well, those verses in 2 Corinthians 2, 24 through 26, 2 Corinthians two twenty-four through 26, those verses teach that unbelief is a condition where a person opposes himself. And unbelief, if abandoned, will result in a person recovering himself. But for the moment, God marvels at unbelief. And chapter 13 closes with verse 58. He did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And in that verse, there's an implication that he wants to do. He wanted to do many mighty works there. He wanted to, but he could not. His hands were tied because of unbelief. Unbelief ties the hands of God. Unbelief stops the hand of God from giving out the blessings to man. And why would man do that? Why would man do that? It causes God to marvel, and it also breaks his heart. It breaks God's heart, as it did with the Lord Jesus when he stood and looked over Jerusalem and he cried. He cried in Luke 13, 34. Luke 13, 34, as he said, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killeth the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often... Would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings? And ye would not. Let's pray. Father, help us, Lord. Help us to go out into the mountains wild and high and go find your sheep wherever they are. Bless those summer blitzers, Lord, who are out there doing that. And give compassion, Lord. Give understanding that we can see how unbelief is self-destructive. In Jesus' name, amen.